0: Revelation 20. Last week we didn't get real far here in Revelation 20. Uh, We kind of stopped somewhere in verses uh, 4 through 6. We talked about Satan being bound for a thousand years, and we talked about the millennial reign of Christ, of Jesus literally ruling and reigning for a thousand years on this earth. One of my favorite topics to talk about. I absolutely love talking about the millennial reign. So what we need to do here is just a quick reminder of this. The spot we're at right now is the tribulation is over, the second coming of Christ has already happened, that's in Revelation 19, and Jesus is literally ruling and reigning on the earth. And if you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to grab a CD or go online and listen to it, because we talked about what the world is going to be like for that literal thousand reign of Christ, of where he gets to come and be the king the way it was supposed to be. And Satan is bound for that thousand years. And this is where we kind of left off a little bit. Verse four, it says, "And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. The rest of the dead refers to non-believers. That's what we're going to get to tonight." This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection is the resurrection of all believers that get to have a place in the millennial reign of Christ. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death. Second death is when you're cast into hell for all of eternity. Has no power, but they shall be priests of God in Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's what we kind of covered last week. What does it mean to rule and reign with Christ? Who gets to be in the millennial reign? and who isn't in the millennial reign. So we talked about how there's going to be a literal group of people that survive the tribulation that are believers that come into this millennial reign of Christ, and they will live on this earth. And then as they're living on this earth, those that have already died in Christ will come back and get to rule and reign with Jesus. The rest of the dead that says right there is not resurrected to the thousand years is finished in verse 5. Those are the non-believers that are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment, which is verse 11, which we're going to get to tonight. So that's just a quick two-minute recap of something that took us nearly 40 minutes last week to do. So if you're sitting here saying, yeah, I'm not following this at all, don't worry, I'm not following it at all either. So grab the CD or get online and listen to it because we're trying to explain a big topic in a small amount of time, but that is just a little bit of a review to put us where we're at. So now we have to jump ahead. The millennial reign is done. Verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to do battle, whose is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, I've got to be honest with you, verses 7 through 9, I've taught through Revelation, this is at least the third or fourth time I've taught through Revelation, I still look at verses 7 and 9, and I think that's some of the saddest verses in the entire Bible, I mean it really honestly is, and there's not too many times in my Christian walk where I sit there and say, okay God, I don't get this, why, I understand and I'm going to teach on why this happens, but there's still a part of me that says, man Lord, can't there be a different way to do this? So you've you got to remember, because you look at this in verse 7, you're like, well, wh- why is Satan released? I mean, that just doesn't, doesn't make sense. You know, can't we just you know end at verse 6 and everybody's just happy? You know, why can't we just do that? Well, the problem is, during this millennial reign of Christ, the earth is going to start out with this extremely small population, extremely small. I mean, the Bible makes it clear there's a very small remnant that makes it out of the tribulation alive. But once you get into the millennial reign, and we talked about how last week the curse is reversed. You know, lifespan is now longer. We went through all those passages in Isaiah, how people will live, that if someone would pass away at a hundred years, it would seem like they were only a child. So you have to think that over a thousand years, that the earth's population will literally explode. Well, everybody born during the millennial reign will never really have to make that choice to either follow Christ... Or to reject Christ and follow Satan, because Satan's bound. So there really isn't that choice that has to be made. Well, one of the greatest things that God has given us is free will. It's also one of the greatest curses that God has given us is free will. And free will, I can choose to either accept Christ or I can choose to reject Christ. So what happens is these people, and it's probably going to be literally millions, if not billions of people that have been born and raised during this millennial reign, they have never had to make the choice. So what happens is now they have to choose. So the only way for them to make a fair choice is for Satan to be released to see if they want to say, this is who I want to follow. Is Satan or who I want to follow is Christ. Now, a couple points come out of this. First point is, generally there's someone at this time thinking, well, no one really wants to follow Satan. You've got to remember the black and white of scriptures. You're either following Christ or you're following Satan. There is no middle ground. God says you're either of your father in heaven or you're the father of the devil. We like to create this huge middle ground gray area. Well, I'm really not a Christian, but I mean, I'm not really following satan and we use terms that sound really intelligent like i'm agnostic that just sounds really dumb and really what it comes down to is the bible makes it abundantly clear from genesis to revelation you're either with god or you're not with god there is no middle ground so when satan is released after these thousand years these people are going to have to make a decision well how many of them choose to follow satan look at verse eight is this not sad whose number is as the sand of the sea it's a big number that's the bible's way of saying it's a big number And there's a huge group of people that reject. Well, why do they reject? Well, they reject because they start believing the deception. Verse 10, the devil who deceived them. Now you may sit here and say, how could he deceive them? Go back and read Genesis 3. He deceived Eve. Adam sinned. He deceived them. He sounds good. And as we talked last week, he twists scriptures. He twists things. This is what he does. And so now he's released for a thousand years and he has the ability to fool these people and that shows that they really did not have that relationship with Christ. And the ones that did not accept this deception show that their hearts are really focused on and so these people are deceived and then what they try to do in verse 9 is this not just crazy They try to surround the camp of the Saints Jerusalem and they decide to take on God Now We just saw this back in Revelation 19 We saw this in the battle of Gog and Magog Which has had some people if you read verse 8 where it says Gog and Magog Some people say well, this is the real battle of Gog and Magog No, this is Gog and Magog take two because really the what the enemy does is is over 6,000 years that he has been fooling human beings, you realize his plan of attack really hasn't changed. He does the same thing he's did 6,000 years ago. He twists Scripture, he deceives people, he makes an empty promise to you that you think whatever that sin is going to do is going to be worth it, then once you commit that sin, you sit there full of rejection, you f- sit there full of shame, saying, it's not worth it. Well, Satan tried a 1,000 years ago, hey, let's get the whole world together, let's meet in this valley of Megiddo, and then let's take on God. Well, let's try it again. Have you ever done something really stupid and then time has passed and you've done something really stupid again? I've shared this story with you numerous times and I'll share it with you one other time. Some of you know where I'm already going with this. I remember when we got our grill at home. You remember the grill story? And it had the automatic lighter. And I thought that's the coolest thing in the world. I don't have to light the grill. There's this automatic lighter. And so there's this button you push and it goes down to this thing that creates a spark and it lights the grill. So I'm thinking this thing is fascinating. Let's see how this thing works. And so I, I hold it and I push the button. Do you know what happens when you hold the automatic lighter when you're holding it? It hurts. It hurts bad. Fine. Year passes. Get the grill out. I forgot. We have an automatic lighter. This is really cool. I wonder how this thing works. So I hold the automatic lighter and I push the button. True story. I did the thing twice. And this is the church you choose to attend. The point is, (laughs) there are times in life where we just repeat and repeat and repeat. I mean, there's that verse in the Bible that says, just as the dog returns to the vomit. We 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 do that again and again. Well, it worked a thousand years ago. Rebellion. Well, let's try it again. Same resort. These people are devoured. Verse nine, and God finally says in verse ten, "Enough is enough." Cast in the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. It's very important to note there where the beast and false prophet are. Note that that is a present tense word. They're still there. And they got thrown in there a thousand years ago. So this is one of the points now that we have to take here from this point on, is the eternity of hell. We always talk about the eternity of heaven. There is the eternity of hell. And this is something that has to be preached and preached again and again and again. And one of my favorite verses, and I use that term lightly, But one of the best verses I should say on this topic, it's Matthew 25, verse 46. If you want to write this down, Matthew 25, verse 46. It says, These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the rest into eternal life. So you're either in everlasting punishment or you're in everlasting life. There there is no difference. You are living everlasting one place or another. So when it says that the Antichrist is already in there, he's been in there for a thousand years, and he's going to be in there for another thousand years and another thousand years, and we can keep on going and going. Look at this last phrase of verse 10. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's read that one more time. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, sometimes there's people that say, you know, you've got to be careful with those hellfire and brimstone messages. Because if you do those hellfire and brimstone messages, you're really not talking about the Lord and the love of God. I'm going to tell you right now, I've shared this with you before, I got saved out of fear of hell. And this is scriptural backing. It says the book of Jude, if you're going to write it down, it's Jude verse 23, says others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. I remember distinctly where I was at. It was Pastor Krager teaching. We were in the library at that, which is now the library. We were in the little white house there by the bank in Hamler. And I remember him teaching, and he did an altar call, and he started talking about hell. And I said, I don't want to go there. So Jesus is the way I don't go there? Then I'll take Jesus. That sounds good. After I got saved, I started realizing not only did God relieve me from hell, my goodness, he really loves me. And then it started all coming together. So when I talk to people about the Lord, you sometimes have to figure out where they're at. Some people are in an emotional state where they need to know that God loves them. And you share that gospel message to them that God loves you and he loves you so much he died for your sin. There's other people that you have to say, you know what? There's a pride in you and you have sin that has to be dealt with. And if you don't deal with that sin, there is an eternal hell. Both ways you're dealing with sin. But some people are dealt with the sin through love and others are dealt with the sin through the ideas of the fire of hell. I was one of those guys with the fires of hell. I don't want that. I look at verse 10, we'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That verse gets my attention. Some of you, that verse may get your attention. Some of you have a coworker, or a friend, a family member, or that verse will get their attention. The eternity of what hell is. Now, we're going to get into that here in a second, but let's stop for one quick second. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments over verses 7 through 10 of this? Yeah, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. No, no, it's not... It's not the second one, it's the first one. Because if it was the second one, it almost makes it sound like the fallen angels are having some type of joy for all of eternity. The truth is the fallen angels, the demons, are going to be tormented day and night forever and ever in hell too. And you've got to remember this. This is one of the key points about the teaching of hell. Hell was not created as an everlasting place for us. It was originally created as an everlasting punishment for the angels that fell. Too often we look at hell and say, well, how could a God of love send anybody to hell? That's not what hell was intended for. Hell was intended for an everlasting punishment for, for the fallen angels. And so by us rejecting Christ, we're choosing to go there. So no, there's going to be no little devils poking us with pitchforks because they're going to be in torment day and night forever and ever too. That's part of the punishment of it. The, the environment itself and one other thing about the environment, and we're going to get to this in a little bit here, because the way hell is described in the Bible, it's described as you know an utter everlasting darkness, weeping, gnashing of tears, a fire that is not consumed, and, and part of the, the hell of it is that judgment, that torture that's going on, but part of that other hell of it is that eternity of realizing, I rejected God, and, and I use this term lightly, separation from God, because if, if part of that separation from God is not necessarily separation from Him, it's separation from that closeness, that presence that, that we're going to be experiencing in heaven and so, therefore, there's going to be a reality of that there is God and there's a reality of what I've lost out on for all of eternity. And part of that hell is knowing that you don't have that. But there also is the darkness, the weaving, gnashing of teeth, the, the never-consuming fire, this continual torment. That goes on forever and ever, too. may else have any quick things I want to ask about this, Marcus? In verse 10, where it says, uh, deceived, and they will then be tormented. Is that what you're saying? Oh, was, was cast in... Oh, because they, they, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and then they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's what you're talking about. I don't know if there's a um, significance to that at all. I am not good at English. And so there's all these different tenses that mean something along that type of line. Obviously, the will be is the future there. And the devil who deceived them was cast. That may be something called like the present perfect, I think. It's something along that type of line. Which I wish we had one of our English teachers here because I can't answer that question. Do we have an English teacher here that wants to take a shot at that? Anybody with a high school education wants to take a shot <laughs> at that? Yeah, no, anybody remember? So uh, anybody else have anything they want to say before we move on? Okay, so we've kind of explained what hell is. Well, how do people get there? Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death in Hades delivered up the dead who were in it. And they were judged, each one according to their works. And the death in Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So here's the deal. And this is actually a pretty simple, straightforward thing. is If we choose to reject Christ, and that means we're choosing to go to this great white throne judgment. And by accepting Christ, you're basically saying, my sin has to be dealt with, and the only way my sin can be dealt with is through the perfect sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross. So by accepting Christ, I'm accepting his sacrifice, and as he died for me, I will now choose to live for him in this life. Well... If you choose to reject that, what you're basically saying is, I understand that I have sin, and this sin has to be dealt with, but I'm going to take my chance standing before God on my own, and I'll let my works dictate whether I'm good enough to get into heaven or not. Now, this is kind of really a dumb statement to say, because it almost sounds like you can make a case. And, and there is no case. I and mean, We've been studying in Romans, Romans 3. There is no one who does good, no, not one. There is no one who is righteous. Isaiah 64, 6 makes it very quick, clear that our righteousness is like filthy rags. What we think is good and what we think is good enough to get us into heaven, God says, no, there's still an element of sin in that because you're still a sinful person. The only way to have entrance into heaven is through Christ because he was the perfect man, perfect God, perfect sacrifice. So at the great white throne judgment, and let me stress this, this is only for non-believers, only for non-believers, So at this great white throne judgment, people are going to get a chance to stand before God himself. Their books are open, which are their life works. And God will very clearly state your works show that you are a sinner and this sin has not been dealt with. So therefore, the judgment is hell. That's going to be very clear. If you look there in verse 12, it says the dead, small and great. There is no hierarchy when you're dead. I just read an article recently. There was a very famous movie actress, etc., that was working on a project out in Hollywood, and one of the rules were that all the extras and all the staff helping were not allowed to make eye contact with her. And What a silly, dumb thing. We have this hierarchy here, and when it comes to death, it doesn't matter if you're small or great, you're standing before God and your works will be judged. Now, I just have to say this. This is kind of a Sunday morning point versus a Wednesday evening point. You have to remember when it comes to works... You're not judged on, I did more good than bad. No, you are judged on the fact of, was there ever one time that you committed a sin? One sin and you're out completely. That's just the way it is. And even past that, if it's not that you've committed a sin, the Bible makes it clear that you're born a sinner. The Bible makes it clear that I inherited sin from my father's 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 father's, etc. So no matter what, you don't have a case. As you stand before God in the great white throne judgment, there there is nothing you can say or do that's going to get you out of this. Absolutely nothing. Because these books are open and your works are opened up right in front of God. And you can't talk your way out of this. There's no way whatsoever. And this is the choice that we choose to make if we choose to reject Christ. Now all of us, All of us have at one time or another probably run into somebody who's talked about hell with almost some type of longing I can remember when I've witnessed to people before and the subject of hell comes up and they say some of the most ridiculous things you've ever heard. All my friends are going to be down there. Well, if that's where everybody's going to be, that's where I want to be. It's like you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, we've heard the songs. or I mean, I still remember as a kid listening to that ACDC song Highway to Hell. I mean, it just you make, they make it sound like this idea of that's what I'm shooting for and it's going to be this big fun thing. And you go back to verse 10, tormented day and night forever and ever. We're not getting out of this. And as you can see here in verse 12, the books are open. And this is going to be fair. See, this is the thing that gets me. When somebody comes up to me and says, God is not fair. No, God is is almost too fair. He's extremely fair. If you choose to reject Christ, he will give you a free, fair trial and judgment. He He will. And his judgment in verse 12 will be fair based on your works. And his judgment will be righteous based on your works. It will be fair and righteous. We just don't like it. See, by the time we get to verse 12, we don't want fair and righteous. We want mercy, and it's past the point of mercy for these people because they've already rejected Christ. As you see there in verse 13, death and Hades is delivered up their dead. The sea gave up its dead. Now we have to take a quick little discussion on this because each translation says that a little different. For you good old King Jamesers out there, your Bible says hell instead of Hades. It's really not a good translation because there's a difference between Hades and there's a difference between hell. And depending on how you kind of look at it, some other translations actually just translate it grave. What this word Hades means, it's a Greek word that literally means abode of the dead. So what happens here is this. If someone dies right now, if you are a believer in Christ, the Bible makes it clear, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. You're right in heaven for all of eternity. If you choose to reject Christ now, the Bible makes it clear, as soon as you die, you are sent to Hades, which is the Greek word. And the Hebrew word for that word is Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. So you're going to be sent to Hades slash Sheol, which literally means a bow to the dead. And this is a place of torment as you await the final judgment of the great white throne judgment. And we know it's a place of torment because from Luke 16, and I'll let you take a look at that later on as we're running out of time here, it talks about the man that was cast into Hades. And it's a place of torment as you're awaiting the final judgment here. And so you are being judged right then and there because it's already known that you didn't make the cut. And so what happens Those God gives you a fair shot. You get to stand before the great white throne judgment. As you stand before the great white throne judgment, death and Hades are opened up. Everybody that, in, that has died that have rejected Christ, they get a chance. Look at the end of verse 13. They were judged, each one according to his works. And then what happens after this? They are then thrown into, verse 14, the lake of fire. The lake of fire would probably be the better way to describe what is actually hell. Now, is that a big deal? To me, it's not a big deal because I use that term all the time. I say to somebody, if you reject Christ, you're going to go to hell. Every now and then, I share this story with you last week. I run into somebody who wants to be particular. Well, if someone dies right now, they're not going to hell. Okay, fine, you're going to go to Hades. It's torment. It's, you're eventually going to end up in hell. That's what the great white throne judgment is. But it's important to note that those are a difference in words there. And this lake of fire, this second death, that is what we refer to more as hell. That eternal resting place for all of eternity where there's the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, the darkness, this constant torment, this... this uh, away from the presence of God, that spiritual relationship, and that is what hell is. And so these people are cast into hell for all of eternity after the great white throne judgment. So that's a lot of information to kind of digest here. Does so anybody have any quick questions, comments about that? Yeah, tweets. <laughs> Yeah, well, what it kind of looks at is, depending on what your translations say, some people actually translate that idea of death as almost more being a picture of the grave. It's that, that this idea of Hades is where the uh, soul is, and the grave is almost where the body is. And so this, no matter where you're at, this is you're going to be cast into that. So it's kind of like a picture of where the soul is resting for eternity, but then also where the resurrection of the body is going to be too. Well, because you're either buried in dirt or you're buried in the water. Yeah, I'm not trying to make that sound cocky. That kind of came... Let's try that again. Well, Renee, because you're either... Sorry... It did. It sounded a little cocky. Though. I didn't mean it that way. But you're either in the water or you're in the dirt. There's really no other place that your body can be. So, Anybody else can I think? Ryan? No. Right. It's not that there's some type of underwater torment here. That's where their physical bodies were, and that's where they're going to be physically resurrected from the body. They're to stand before God in their flesh. Anybody else have anything I want to say here about this before we close up? All right. If you guys would turn with me real quick to Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians 1. Second Thessalonians 1. I just want to stress one more time, great white throne judgment is for non-believers only. As believers, we do not go through that. We go through something different. But we do not go through the great white throne judgment. That is a judgment on non-believers where their works are judged and they're found guilty and sentenced to hell. We're going to go to 2 Thessalonians here real quick. There's a great passage here in 2 Thessalonians that kind of brings this all together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now, we've talked about that. The rest that we have for all of eternity in heaven when Christ returns. That's the blessed hope that we look forward to, verse 7. But look at verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what sentenced someone to hell, as they reject God and they reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day, note day with a capital D, referring to the day of the Lord, to to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you who believed. Now, I take you to that passage because that is just one of the most simple, straightforward passages that we have here. Verse 7, we have rest in Jesus Christ. Verse 8, if you choose to reject that rest and to not obey God and to not obey the gospel, you're accepting, verse 8, flaming fire, which then takes us right ahead there to verse 9, there's going to be an everlasting destruction. And I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, if there's one thing you want to beat in Christianity, it's that term, everlasting. There's too often this concept of, of not fully grasping what eternity is. And we've said this before out here numerous times. Our life revolves around time. Our life revolves around days and months and calendars and time. We are so used to this concept of time, getting older, celebrating birthdays, etc., that we have no concept of something lasting forever and ever and ever. And I've heard numerous pastors in numerous ways try to explain eternity, and to be quite honest, our minds just can't grasp it. I just don't think we can. Everything we do revolves around time. I mean, I'm looking here at the clock, it's almost 8 o'clock. That clock is telling me I've got to be finishing up here soon. Okay, we're going to go home, and what are you going to tell your kids? It's bedtime. You're going to set your alarm, and you're going to get up and go to work tomorrow because that's what the clock dictates for you. So this concept of eternity just does not sit with us. And we have to keep looking at these verses and saying everlasting destruction. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. This is not some type of prison sentence where I do my 5 years, my 10 years, my 20 years, whatever, and I'm done. This is an everlasting torment that goes on forever and ever and ever because somebody willfully, consciously rejected what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And this is what we have finished with every week here in Revelation as of late, is this idea of we have this information that is presented to us. Now, you may be here tonight. You may be born again and saved and walking with Christ, and amen to that. If you are, then we need to make sure that we understand and grasp this information so that way when we go into work tonight or tomorrow or run into unsaved friends and loved ones, we know the reality of hell. So since we know the reality of hell, that is what we want to do to explain to them and to tell them what's going on. That We have a biblical, spiritual responsibility to do this, to tell people these things. Too often we run into these things of, I don't want to lose friends, I don't want to make enemies, I don't want to cause problems. I mean, come on. We know what hell is. It's worth losing a couple of friends on to be honest and loving with someone to say, I care enough about you to tell you this. And if you go back and look at your life, aren't you thankful that there was somebody at one time or another that was honest with you? We have to. So this is so vital for us here tonight to make sure we understand and grasp this everlasting destruction. Because what happens here from chapter 21 and 22 on for the next couple of weeks, it's nice. <laughs> It's really nice. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, eternity. It's good. But the only way it's good is because we know Jesus Christ and we didn't go through the great white throne judgment. And so we need to make sure that we understand this everlasting life and this everlasting destruction, the vitalness of this. Now, I'm going to close here with prayer in a second. I want to make sure. Has anybody got any final questions, comments before we close up? All right. Oh, yeah. Heather. The tide keep coming in. But you know what the thing about the tide is, Heather? They know what time it's going to come in. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Hi yep you want the microphone you want the microphone right. are you going to defend your wife or is this a different comment You're not like andy no no i'm not defending her i'm not defending her she said it wrong oh okay sorry go ahead andy see now that's a good point andy that's a really good point yeah that's what's do. what's clap for that point that was that is good andy do you want to teach revelation 21 next week that was good I heard someone a little bit ago try to explain it, and it just didn't flow for some reason. So, But I'm glad, I'm glad you cleared that up. <laughs> She's leaving. <laughs> if you're leaving, make sure you drop your tithe off on the way, please. That's all. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, should, I shouldn't joke about that. Oh, see, this is where we just need to stop at 8. If we just stop at 8, these things don't happen. Okay, now I'm totally baffled here. So it was a good point. Anybody else have any final? Don't even What's that? Oh, yeah, no one. Let's just end with prayer. But what I want to do here as we end with prayer on a more serious note is I want us to take a time here and a moment to do this is if we do know and if we have somebody in our heart that we know is not walking with the Lord, this is a great time to say, let's, let's give this person over to the Lord and then let's commit that person to prayer. And, and I want to stress this also too. I know I treat Wednesdays a little different than Sundays because generally speaking, the people coming out on Wednesdays, you know, you're, you're walking with the Lord. That's why we do it a little bit differently. But I also don't want to leave this study with someone saying, okay, I don't know for sure what he's talking about. I can't stress to you enough. If you're sitting here tonight and you're hearing these truths about great white throne judgment, and you're like, I don't know if I'm in, I don't know if I'm out, come grab me afterwards. Let's talk about this to make sure that we're all on the same page because we want to make sure we understand the eternity and the everlasting. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, I just think of that passage where it talks about eternal life and everlasting destruction. Lord, it is so clear what you're trying to say, and we are thankful for what Jesus did on the cross for us to have that eternal life. And Lord, we pray that for ourselves and we say thank you. We pray for our kids to grow up and love you and accept you at an early age. We pray for unsaved friends and loved ones to come to you. And Lord, I'm sure we all have somebody on our heart right now who we just don't know. Or maybe it's so blatant that they just say they don't want it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we give that person over to you through your spirit to speak to their heart. Convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment because we love them. Lord, open up doors for us to get a chance to plant seeds in you. Lord, we just give that person to you and pray that their heart is softened in you. Bind the enemy in all ways as he wants to pull a veil over their eyes. We pray that that veil is lifted and we pray for these people in love. And we say thank you, Lord. Help us to never forget what you did so we may have a real relationship with you not by what we've done but by what you we lift this up in your name amen don't forget sign up sheets back there for heart to heart dinner with dad and next week we'll be in revelation 21 and 22 you guys have a good week